Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. Um, this week we're back and we are going to talk about Crazy Rich Asians, which was a film that opened in Australia. I, I don't know if it's opened yet, actually, but we went to see it um, last weekend. And uh, tonight we're just going to share our thoughts on it. I'm joined tonight by Anija, Gerald, and Maggie, as usual. Say hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Um, and as usual, this is going to be a full spoilers podcast, so if you don't want to listen to spoilers, turn it off now, but if you want to listen to spoilers, then keep listening, because we're interesting, I hope. <laughs> okay, so, um, yeah, I, I think Crazy Rich Asians is a really interesting film for us to talk about, because obviously, um, around this table, um, pretty much all of us hit at least... One, maybe one and a half of those <laughs> those descriptors <laughs> in the film's title, and I think the <laughs> I think it's not the rich because none of us clearly had weddings where we went to international no. waters to celebrate a month. Two out of three ain't bad, <laughs> <laughs> as Meatloaf would say. <laughs> Um, I think we're missing the most important one. From seeing this film, I think we're missing the most important one. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, let, let's start by just... Um, oh, actually, actually, before we start, I think um, we'll kind of, like, break the podcast into, like, two little bits. Like, I think let's start just basically talking about the film and what we thought about the film as a film. And then I thought it actually would be interesting to have a bit of a conversation about... Um, given that, you know, we're, everyone around the table is basically of some sort of Asian ethnicity. Um, like, whether we thought there was any resonance in the film, like whether we could identify with any aspects of the film, and, and just kind of talk about how, like, the whole sort of... Um, the film kind of deals with, I guess, Asians generally, right? So um, let, let's start with the meat and potatoes of the podcast, though. Let's just... Um, go around the table and have a chat about what we thought about the film. Um, now, I know Mags has actually read the book. Um, I don't know. Who, who else has actually read the book of Crazy Rich Asians? No one else. No one else. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, like, I might give everyone a quick, all our listeners, a really quick rundown of what the film is actually about. I mean, the film at its heart is actually a very simple sort of romantic comedy about... Um, basically a guy bringing his girlfriend to meet his family. I mean, pretty classic romantic comedy fare. Um, and the hijinks that ensue. I think the point of interest about the film is kind of in the title, which is that, you know, the the guy's family are a bunch of really rich Singaporeans, like outrageously rich Singaporeans, right? So, I mean, that's really the film's premise. Um, so, um, who, who wants to start? Andrew, Jerry? Mags? Yeah, look, I think it... W look, when it first started, I wasn't sure because it starts off as your very typical, almost B-grade romantic comedy. For me, that 95% plus of romantic comedies are B-grade. It's one of my least 
favorite kind of movie genres and it was starting off as just the same way and I started to think oh I really want to love this movie and if I'm honest with myself and this was a bunch of white actors uh, acting the same plot would I be even remotely interested or bored right now so I was a little bit worried with how it sort of started off with those familiar tropes but it really did bring in the emotional angle and it really did delve deep into some more you know themes and um, sort of story developments um, that I could really connect with and I have to say I, I, it's it's definitely one of my top three romantic comedy um, movies that I've, I think I've ever seen and I, I really enjoyed it um, by the end. Wow that is high praise from mm-hmm. Anna Jo. Okay <laughs> Jerry do, do you want to shoot next and then we can have a chat with Mags about what she thought about it relative to the book. Sure sure absolutely I thought this was a movie of incredible charm I think it's in, from my perspective, it's actually hard to separate the merits of the film from the resonances um, of it as, as a consequence of the, the fact that it is the first predominantly um, Asian-American film set in contemporary times that we've had since The Joy Luck Club, which was about 25 years ago. Um, but notwithstanding that, trying doing my best to judge the film as a film, um, the... It was a, it was an extremely charming movie, and it had a very charming cast. I mean, Constance Wu we know from um, her role as Jessica Huang on um, Fresh Off the Boat, and she demonstrates here a, a, an ability to carry off the lead romantic role almost effortlessly. And um, she's such a refreshing presence, and um, really does um, you know sort of light up the screen uh, when when she's on it, um, and and she's surrounded by a, a formidable cast of players, not least of whom is Michelle Yeoh. I mean, Michelle Yeoh is better known for action movies. Um, she was famously perhaps the only Bond girl to be a better action hero than James Bond himself in Tomorrow Never Dies. And in this movie, um, she is playing, you know, very subtly with just glances or facial expressions, um, a character who is so vivid um, and so formidable uh, that it's incredible to think that um, this star of Hong Kong action cinema could could pull off this sort of performance. Um, And dare I say that the film is beautiful to look at. John M. Chu obviously has a great visual um, style when it comes to filmmaking, and what he creates is this sort of sumptuous um, delight. So it's not a perfect film, if only because... um, it, it, it hews a bit too closely to romantic comedy tropes, not least of which is the 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 chase at the end and the confrontation at the air, at the airport or on the plane in this case, um, in a in a, conclu- in a final scene that, or rather, second last scene, which kind of brings to mind um, Ross chasing Rachel at the end of season two of Friends. But putting all that aside, I thought it was a you know it's a it's a really good time in the movies. Mags? Uh, well, I really enjoyed the movie, actually. Um, I, I like romantic comedies. Um, I liked, I think you put it really simply, um, Darren, that it was really about, very simply about a boy and a girl who fall in love. They come from different walks of life. Um, and uh, he brings her home to meet his family 
and that becomes really evident to her. And then the question mark is, will their romance survive or not? Um, I loved how um, glamorous everybody was. I thought they um, they cast it really well. Um, and the guy, you know, the um, director and the um, the costume designer and the guys who do set design and um, all the sort of um, paraphernalia that goes around the movie, I think they did such a good job. And they just went all out. They probably just went, look, this is supposed to be about a super glamorous, super rich uber elite set of people let's just give people the fantasy the fantasy version of this world and they did exactly that i I really really loved it um whether or not it's uh, close to the book i think by and large it does do that um i know darren we can talk about this later on whether you can actually um sympathize with the lead characters so rachel and nick particularly nick um are they too perfect as characters? Yeah. It's a bit of a question mark, and we can go into that a little bit later. Yeah. Um, we d- we definitely it- should talk about that. I mean, yeah, when I get into my impressions, absolutely, that was something that, yeah. But, um, yep, yeah. Yeah. Um, the basic story does is faithful. There are some changes they made to the plot, and I think it was probably because um, so this series um, is a trilogy. There are two other books, and the different um, a few like, different media outlets have confirmed that they're going to do sequels because of how successful the movie has been. So I think they sort of um, designed the plot um, and filming of of Crazy Rich Asians with that in mind because they don't actually spend as much time on developing the characters or the different sort of parallel plots, which. You know, Nick and Rachel, and then there's Astrid and her husband and the other um, cousins of Nick, um, Eddie, and uh, there's one other guy, the guy who is um, going out with the the Taiwanese porn star. Um, oh, Alistair. Alistair, that's it. In the book, you get a lot more um, meat and depth into their actual stories and why they're actually important to the constellation of family members that Nick is part of. And and I guess each of them give a different insight into how um, Asian, that sort of uber-rich Asian world is like or Chinese world is like. Um, so I think that's probably, it, because they, they had this idea of, well, we've got two more movies to explore those, let's just set the world up. Mm-hmm. Um, their characters are a little bit simple, Um and, and you really only just get a glimpse of them, not really a sense of who they are. Um, the ending is also not exactly the same. So the book is a bit more ambiguous about how Nick and, and Rachel... Um, uh, really? Style. Yeah. So in the book, it's a question mark, whereas in the movie, they've gone with the classic romantic plot, which what is... What do you mean it's a question mark? So it's a... So they... Um, so the big... Um, confrontation is between his mother Eleanor and yeah. Rachel when she uh, reveals that uh, she had a private investigator look into her background and her father is actually not dead and her father is actually this is Rachel's father is actually um, a politician in the Chinese Communist Party and incredibly wow. yeah and so this sets up this whole other um, drama and then um, set of plots that take place in the second book. And that devastates Rachel because, one, she finds out her dad is actually alive. 
And then two, um, she's thinking about why didn't my mother tell me? Mm. Um, and so she, she talks about this as a kind of sundering of um, her um, trust in him. Um, so then at the end of the book, um, she... Um, now, I can't remember if she actually does um, make up with him, but it's not in that kind of neat bow mm. that they have on the plane. It's a bit sure. more complicated. And it, right. um, I think Correct she, me if I'm wrong, Maggie, but yeah. as I understand it, they get engaged in the second book. Yes, that's right. That's oh. right. Yeah. Girls reading his wiki. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been preparing. <laughs> so, I know that it's... Um, in the first book, she does actually go and she she wants to go and meet her father. Okay. Um, and so that's kind of how it ends. And then she and um, she and Nick, I think she reconciles with her mum, and then I think she and Nick make up, but they don't get engaged. Mm. And then that's it. And it moves on to the second book, which is Rachel's past and her family in China. I mean, that is an interesting choice. And I think, like, when you say that to me, that, like, it, it does get, I mean, look, uh, we're not, we're kind of talking outside of the scope of the film here. But yeah, in, in the second, it, the, yeah. Exactly. The film is the film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, so if, it, if, just, yeah. I was just going to say, it's just interesting that for this first film, they thought, right, let's just hook the audiences with glitz and glamour and a classic rom-com and let the power of the franchise bring people to the table. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know what? It sounds like like they were betting against the possibility that maybe they'd only have the one movie. And so they thought, if we're only going to have one movie, we better bring the relationship to consummation or fruition at the end of this movie rather than assume that we're going to get another one to allow them to get engaged in a, in a, in a sequel. Yeah, okay, so I'm going to talk about this before I give my impressions, right? But in my in my mind, when I look at this film, this was a sure bet at the box office. Their, like, budget was, like, 30 mil or less, which is, like, bupkis in Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like you get Asian actors, you pay them nothing, and you make a film. Good on you, right? And, <laughs> like... Given, I mean, this book, like, the the book is basic amongst, sort of, the Chinese diaspora, right? Like, not, obviously, mainland China or, like, like Chinese people who were living overseas. This book was, like, a Bible from, like, I heard about it, like, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And pretty much all really? of... Yeah, like, all these people I knew who were living in Hong Kong, like... Aussies or Americans who had moved back to Hong Kong after, like, they finished their uni or gone gone back to Taiwan or Singapore or whatever, they were all like, oh, you got to read Crazy Rich Asians. It's a huge thing. And my sister, of all people, w- was reading it as well, right? So, like, when I thought about it, I was like, man, like, in some ways, this feels like a surefire thing, right? Like, right. if you invest $30 million, it's pretty likely that you'll get enough people to, like, make your money back on this. And... Anyway, so I, I do find it surprising that, like, they're framing it in, like, oh, this is, like, a surprise hit or whatever it is, right? Because amongst, like, people that I knew, this was, like, a well-established franchise, right? Like, a well-established book franchise. But anyway, that's kind of, like, we can talk about that um, kind of later on. Um, mm. Yeah, so, look, I mean, I 
I'm probably not as positive on this film as you guys are. I thought it was a perfectly serviceable romantic comedy, and um, I'm probably a little bit like Anna in that I'm, I'm not a huge fan of romantic comedies unless um, Ryan Reynolds is in them. Um, <laughs> I love the proposal. I love it. Like, he's, he's awesome. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> but, um, like... I thought it was it was like a serviceable romantic comedy film. I thought that a lot of the interest was driven by the fact that there is this sort of um, level of intrigue over how, like, the sort of ethnic nature of the film and also that um, it's kind of like an insight into lives of rich people, right? Which I, I guess mm-hmm. is always kind of a little bit voyeuristic and intriguing. Um, yeah, so... I, I guess for me, like, I I kind of felt like a lot of the characters were not particularly well developed. Like, I, I definitely what Mag said earlier about... I left that film and I felt that the character of Nick was basically... Like, he was basically a prince who had no faults, right? He was rich. He's, he a, was, complete, he's, a, he's a complete cipher. Yeah, he's, he's just... He's ripped as hell. He's super rich. <laughs> and he's, like, so down to earth, Right? Doesn't engage in any hijinks on the Bucks. He's just like the perfect man. I mean, I want to marry him, right? Like, it's it's insane. So I, I kind of felt that, like, you know, character-wise, they kind of outside of Eleanor and I think Rachel. I think Eleanor and Rachel are the most complex characters. But outside of those characters, everyone else is kind of just a caricature, almost, of a rom-com um, role. So mm-hmm. I guess for me, that was, you know, if I'm, if I'm completely honest about, like, if I'm sort of assessing this film with sort of other rom-coms, like, I, I kind mm-hmm. of feel like it would have been nice if there was some sort of development with those sure. sorts of characters as well. Um, I think I also really had an issue with, um, logically, the central, um, I guess, like... Uh, conflict in the film between Eleanor and Rachel. I, I I can kind of understand it, but then, like, there's one really? point... Yeah, like, I, I kind of... I can kind of get it, but then the one point that really got me, that kind of... and I, Look, maybe I'm just biased towards it, right? But basically, the mother at one point says to Rachel, um, you're, like, Chinese-American. You would never understand what it's mm-hmm. like for us. And for me, like, that was the, one of the weirdest lines, right? Because really, like, she's not... So, so basically, the resolution of, of this film is that Rachel shows Eleanor that, you know, she does understand Eleanor's values, right? But for me, it was a really weird thing for Eleanor to bring up and a really weird thing to be a central point of conflict because, like, Rachel Koo is basically, like, she's first generation... Chinese, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it means that, like, in many ways, like, her mum was an immigrant, right? She still speaks Chinese. So it's not like she's that divorced from that culture. And, you know, like, we're talking about Singaporeans here who are straight up, like, they're part of the Chinese diaspora as well, right? So it feels weird that she would say, oh, I'm not accepting you because basically you're part of the Chinese diaspora, when I'm like, hang on. Like, take a look at yourself. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. 
So for me, I actually preferred that actually Rachel and Eleanor were not that far apart in terms of cultural diversity. Um, if they'd introduced like a, a white person or even an Asian who were like who's like second or third generation and clearly very different to Eleanor, mm. I don't think it would have had the same impact because I actually like that even though Rachel was so similar, any kind of difference at all, any kind of not fitting into Eleanor's world was seen as this massive threat to her like she had no flexibility there and I think that was more that was quite consistent with the person that she was um so I think I preferred that and it really did play out that story of when you are a first generation immigrant or close to a first generation immigrant there is nowhere for you to really belong like you don't belong in the world you came from and you don't really belong in the new world either um so I I I like that aspect of it um yeah i'd like to talk about the things that i liked and i didn't like but i might just wait for you to um sort of finish what your thoughts were darren yeah look i i think i mean look i i think really like for me that was look i understand where where you're coming from and you're probably right right like but for me when i was watching it it just seemed really jarring for whatever reason so um yeah um yeah and i, I guess uh, the other thing that felt a bit jarring for me was the ending, where, like, she just, like, she spent the entire film basically, um, sort of, not rejecting, but saying, like, basically setting herself completely apart from his kind of world, and then the end scene where they kind of, like, I understand it's a rom-com, which is why they probably need the party scene at the end, but the end scene where she kind of just accepts, like, he's hired out the top floor of the Marina Bay Sands and like they have like synchronized swimmers in the pool, right? <laughs> it just seemed really out of place, right? Because she's portrayed as this yeah. ultra down to earth lady. And then all of a sudden she's like, okay, fine, party on, right? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it, mm-hmm. anyway, it's just there was just there were a lot of little things in the film that kind of like I guess just rubbed me the wrong way, right? So mm-hmm. anyway. So what I loved about it, like there's some there's some things I really didn't like and some things that I, I liked a lot. I liked that it was very female-centric. All the really strong and interesting characters in this movie, movie were, were female, um, ma- mainly Michelle Yeoh and Constance Wu, but even Aquafina, Gemma Chan, like all the ones I cared about and I, we did see some character development with were female, which was um, awesome. I liked the whole rich-poor um, thing. So I don't actually feel comfortable or like it when movies fetishize um, richness and um, just enormous wealth. Um, it, it, yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. In this movie, I tried to be good with it because, you know, they did try to do it in a very fun way and I try to just enjoy the colours and the glitz and so on. But I kind of like that in the very opening scene where, um, so what happens is, you know, the um, Michelle Yeoh's family walk into the hotel, they're treated like dirt by the people who work in the hotel. What do they do? They buy the hotel. Um, and I like that they used, they kind of communicated the message that, look, money is a way for people to exert power over other people. And if you're being treated like crap, you can turn that around 
through wealth because it is the great equalizer. Um, no matter what you have, if I've got more money than you, then I've got power over you. Now, I didn't like that message, but I found it an interesting one. I'm not sure that they were really trying to say that. I think they were just trying to do something funny, but I found that quite interesting and then throughout the movie it's all about rich 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 like how important it is to be rich how powerful you are how everybody wants to know you everybody wants to be you if you're rich um, and how other people have to try to win your approval if you're rich and you know Constance Rachel the character of Rachel spends the entire movie trying to win the approval of these people she has to play by their game you know even to prove that she's good enough she has to show that she can play their game game before she can say that she's good enough, which all of that sucks, right? But I did like that at the end, um, I loved that it came down to that Mahjong game, and I loved that what happened in Mahjong um, completely mirrored what Rachel was doing, which is to say that, you know, at the end of the day, I who have nothing, I, this poor person with no family, no, like, no important family to speak of, I am the reason that you will feel happiness in your life. I have all the power. I can take away everything that means something to you, or I can give you the greatest joy and make your dreams come true. I have that power, and I will choose to give it to you. So, you know, in the Marjoram game, she, Rachel has the winning hand. But she allows Michelle, uh, she allows Eleanor to win. And then at the end, she turns over her hand and Eleanor can see, wow, she could have beat me if she wanted to. Um, so I, I love that in the end, the message is ultimately love is um, much more powerful than all the wealth and money in the world. Um, so I really love that part of it. I loved the Astrid storyline. So I actually think um, it was wonderful to see, like, you, I could really relate to Astrid's husband and how hard it must have been to feel like you didn't matter and nothing you did matter because no, nothing you did mattered because your perfect wife was the only thing that mattered. And you couldn't even really get angry with her because she was perfect and she's always supporting you and she's just model of perfection. And I could relate to how frustrating that must have been for him. But then when he goes and he has this affair and she finds out about it, he's a complete asshole about it and at no point does he take any real responsibility for it um, and so I loved seeing her stand up to him at the end and say you know what I don't apologize for my wealth you you know I chose you you had nothing you should have I chose you and you should have been man enough to see your own worth and it's not you know I can't give that to you if you don't have it yourself and so that's kind of why I was okay with Rachel's character being all right with the wealth in the end because at the end of the day if you love someone who's rich and that richness is part of their life then you, you do actually have to embrace it and find some comfort you know in that even if it's not really your own thing if you're going to make both of your worlds sort of work together so that was cool I loved you look when it started to end, at, towards the end, when um, Nick goes after Rachel in the, air, in the airport scene, hated it. I thought, why are we going back to this usual romantic comedy trope bullshit? This movie is better than that. Why are we ending on this way? But I did love it when he proposes to her for the second time and he shows her the ring. And I just thought, wow, like I cried in that moment. And I wasn't crying for Rachel and Nick. I was crying for... Rachel and Eleanor and like the journey that Eleanor had gone through and the sacrifice that both of those women, women had chosen to make um, and you know the, the way that both of those women had grown all of that was just shown in that ring and I just thought that was like so moving um, 
yeah, I just think that was a really intelligent way of doing it, and it was it was fantastic. So just going to what I didn't like, didn't like Nick Young. Um, I didn't did not think he was the perfect uh, boyfriend. I thought he was a total loser. Really? Why did he? <laughs> why did he not prepare Rachel for the family? Like, why didn't he take better steps to sort of protect her from that? And what the hell at the end? I realised that he chooses Rachel. But then he so easily just goes back to his own world and needs his mother to come along and give him her approval before he can go back to her. So I thought he was a massive loser. That would not have worked for me one bit. Okay, not my guy. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't like the the only the last thing I didn't like. Look, guys, this is Singapore, right? There are brown people in Singapore. I'm brown myself. I did not like that the only two brown people in this movie were the guards and they didn't even portray them like real human beings. They were kind of lurking around like these comedic animals and I thought that really sucked. Okay, So especially because this is Singapore, it's not like it's, it's set in China or anything. So a little bit more representation for the brown folks, please. And those are my thoughts. Mm. So I would actually agree with you in terms of a lot of like – pretty much all the points that you thought were strong points of the film, I I would also agree with, right? Like, I I thought that um, the end airport scene was redeemed by the ring. Like, I I thought the ring was a really clever touch, right? Like, I mean, yeah, so I thought, you know, that that was kind of like a a great scene. I, I also agree that the film basically... The points where I liked the film the most basically was the point when they were playing Mahjong. Right? I thought that Mahjong scene was um, pretty... Amazing. Yeah, very well filmed, right? And I thought it was full of symbolism and depth. And um, Mags will know, though, that I immediately complained <laughs> because like, I felt like they broke Mahjong protocol. And <laughs> By when she when she shows her hand, is that when you thought she no, broke? No, no, no. I mean, we can talk about this a little bit, but from a resonance perspective, the whole mahjong thing personally has that has a lot of resonance with me, right? Because my mum taught me how to play mahjong as well, oh. and like that idea of um, learning life lessons from mahjong was also something that my mum iterated but wow the key the key point was for me was that what rachel did bring the tile into her hand is like disqualification right like if you <laughs> if you bring the tile to anyway you can't do that or and then afterwards eleanor eleanor winning the hand by putting the tile into her thing the way my mom taught me that would have been in taiwanese Mahjong parlors, you would have been kicked out, or you would have just lost all your money immediately, right? But anyway, that's... I don't know if that's just my mum's rules or whatever, but... Daz, we're just a bit more straight in the Malay, in the Malay Peninsula. You're just going to be, you know, we're just, we're just a bit rougher, we're just a bit tougher. Um, but yeah, like, I, look, so I agreed with all those points. For, for me, I guess some of this stuff was so close to home that I started really, like, nitpicking some of the... Details and Ma- I said this to Mags, and Mags was kind of like, "Like that's got nothing to do with a movie," and I completely acknowledge that. But it's kind of like it's just it just irks me, right? It, I don't Gerald know why. had similar issues, <laughs> things that yeah. have really nothing to do with anything, but really irk. <laughs> so, Jerry, tell me about the stuff that irked you, buddy. <laughs> well, the, the the thing that really, really, really irked me, and it's not 
small is Henry Golding. Henry Golding is so obviously not Chinese. He's you just looking at him. He's a halfie. He's, right? he's a halfie. He's, he's a halfie for sure. Yeah, he's, no, if he's a halfie, he's, he's, he's Chinese. No, no, no. But he's not even he's not oh, even yeah. half Chinese. Yeah. He's half English, half Malay. Oh, so you look at him and you can tell straight away he's not Chinese. And the idea that they couldn't find a Chinese bloke good looking enough to play a supposedly good looking Chinese bloke is ridiculous. You would Mate, be the Jerry, okay? You've had a number of cases on. Right? Jerry, let me ask you a question. How many jacked Chinese kids do we have in our year at school? Yeah, look, can I just say... I wish I was that jacked. Was, I'm not. Uh, our school was particularly lacking in jacked people, Chinese and non-Chinese. That's true. I mean, That's our school true. was we secularly unique Yeah. <laughs> but, but the thing is, look, the guy, the bloke who plays the groom, Colin, Chris Pang. Chris Pang is Australian-born. He's Chinese. He mastered the English accent. He's pretty ripped. He's pretty good-looking. I don't understand why he couldn't play Nick Young. And the the story that's being spun by the makers of the movie is we chose Henry Golding because he was the only person we 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 could find who could pull off that sort of upper class British accent, which is bullshit because Chris Payne pulled it off in playing Colin. So. Um, I just found that I just found that completely and utterly jarring. Okay, d- d- okay. I thought he had an Aussie accent. Actually. Yeah, I felt like he had an Aussie accent as well. I, I thought you could tell the Aussie underlying the British yeah. accent. Yeah, because hey, maybe immediate- it wasn't. Yeah, because Max immediately turned around to me and was like, "That guy's Australian, right?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah he yeah. sounds kind of Australian." Yeah, right, maybe. But you're maybe. Right. He was he was um, equally as good looking and equally as jacked. And, <laughs> he and was not. Oh, come on, you guys need to get. You- he was and, not and as jacked as Goldie. Truth be told, the, the bloke who plays Astrid's husband, Michael, but also and, very jacked. Henry Goldie, also very jacked. No, he was more. He was more ripped. Okay, sorry. Let's. So the, 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 <laughs> there's, there's a difference between so jacked and ripped, but anyway. <laughs> so there's, there's that, right? Uh, um, and there's the fact that what also irked me was the fact that. Only one character spoke with the proper um, Hokkien-inflected Malay Chinese accent, and that's oh, Aquafina's mum. Thank you um, so much. That particular, that. that particularly sing-songy accent that, that that's characteristic of Chinese people living in the Malay Peninsula. Everyone else spoke, you know, the Queen's English. Yeah, which like is cause, yeah, because Michelle Yeoh oh. doesn't speak with a, like a singlish accent, right? Like she's. Yeah, I mean. She, She's, there's still a bit of it there because she was born in Ipoh in Malaysia, so there's still a bit of it there. But she spent so much time in Hong Kong that she's that, that there's there's a there's a heavy overlay of other other stuff on top of her accent. But you can yeah. still hear a bit of at the bottom. But there's only one character who 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 speaks in the proper Singlish accent, and she's played for laughs. Yeah. Uh, whereas anyone else speaks the Queen's English and and is and is sort of less broadly conic than her with. With the exception, of course, of Ken Jong, because Ken Jong is doing his usual Ken Jong thing. Yeah, Ken Jong. So that, was that, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Ken Jong was like felt kind so, of out of place. Did you not feel that? Yeah, no, he was completely he was completely out of place, particularly since he was meant to be a native. Yeah. Um, and as Anna just said, you know, there is something weird about the extent to which the um, multi ethnic nature of Singaporean society got absolute short shrift in this in this movie. Um, you know, uh, the, 
the the fact of the matter is, you know, Singapore has had um, Chinese prime ministers all throughout, but it's had at least one Tamil Indian president, um, and it is a very very successful multi ethnic society. There are Malays, Indians, Chinese, and others um, in this melting pot in the southern on the southern tip of the Malay Peninsula. It's certainly more successful a multi ethnic society than even Malaysia, which um, uh, practices um, a very very uh, rigid form of discrimination um, by excluding Chinese people, say from all government from all government jobs um, and from the political system. Uh, with this, with the slight exception of the, of the Malay Chinese Association. So you get, given all that, one would have thought that this movie would celebrate the multiracial success of Singapore more than it did. Because, in fact, it didn't at all. So there, there are those things which, which kind of irked me about its portrayal of, of, of Singapore. Um, and the fact that, you know, people tended to speak, um, uh, Mandarin or Cantonese, whereas um, Hokkien was sort of seen as something a bit lower class. At the at the at the Mahjong parlor, the the two other women in the um, in at the table are said to be um, you know women who who speak only Hokkien, therefore can't understand the conversation between um, uh, Michelle Yeoh and Constance Wu. And this idea that you know, and, and and underlying that, and maybe there's a hint of truth about it, is that you know sort of. Um, Hokkien people are a bit rougher, uh, a bit less educated, a bit more uncouth. And, you know, being Hokkien myself, that kind of irked me as well. Mm. Okay, look, before we open the floodgates on cultural details, because I'm, I'm ready to offload as well, right? But, um, like, before we open those floodgates, do we have anything else to say about kind of the film in general? I, I think the general consensus is that it was like a fun rom-com and uh, i think you guys probably liked it more than me and thought it was quite a good romantic comedy um look to be honest i I think you guys are probably right i think i'm judging it through um a lens that (laughs) a a slightly different lens yeah i think michelle yo carries this um look i love constance who plays rachel i've she's this you know breakout star of fresh off the boat i love her so much but michelle yo is just fantastic like the, the the dimension and the depth she gives to the character of eleanor and the stateliness like she's not a villain by by any means right she could so easily be a cartoon character step evil step mother uh, mother-in-law type and and Look, I just think she brings so much more to it than than any kind of stereotype like that. And you can't help but feel for her and respect her, despite all the, the not-so-lovely things that she does. Um, so I think she really made the film. Mm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think part of it was with Rachel, um, she's actually given... <laughs> I think they're given more opportunity than any of the other characters to actually be developed in the film, mm. um, just because, you know, the rest of the movie is really about setting the scene, painting that society. Um, so in the in the book, and I keep comparing it to it, and funnily enough, the Mahjong scene is not in the book. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah. I think it's quite interesting that they decided to, to use that as the way of differentiating the movie from, from the book. Um you do get a greater sense of um, the history of Eleanor 
and where she's coming from. And Rachel's almost used as this sort of um, chance to give a diaspora lens into, um, you know, this new Asian, this other Asian world that she thought that she was a part of but actually quite different from. And actually is meant to act as a counterpoint against, you know, the sort of girls that she meets in in um, Nick's circle when he grew up in Singapore. Um, so it's interesting that I, I think they try to keep that with with the character in the movie as well, um, but it, it was probably just reflecting what you were saying, Anja, a bit challenging because they're also trying to pull in, you know, all the sort of other rom-com um, devices like, you know, she changes from being the sort of um, dorky-looking ordinary girl mm. into she has the makeover to look like a princess so that she can go to the... Um, Ball. She can go to the ball and then she meets the, you know, potentially evil stepmother, all those sorts of steps. Mm. Um, so I think they struggled a little bit with that, but I think at the end they recovered themselves on it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've got to look. I mean, I, I'm being harsh on it. it. It's like it's it's a solid romantic comedy, right? Like it, it does everything that a romantic comedy kind of needs to do and... I think the it's central... better than your average, right? Romantic yeah, comedy uh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> and look, to, to be honest, like, Anager's right in that, you know, when you were talking about it just then, Anager, you're right. Like, that central conflict, if I'm able to put my personal prejudices aside and my nitpicky aside, that central conflict between Eleanor and um, Rachel is kind of understandable and believable and relatable, even if the sort of the background of crazy richness is not necessarily particularly relatable. Um, mm. So yeah, like, look, you guys are right, right? There's a human, like, there's a humorous undertone to it. Like, when you rip away the crazy richness aspect, there's a human undertone to it, which I think is identifiable by pretty much, well, relatable to pretty much everyone, right? So in mm. that sense, I think it, it's a successful romantic comedy. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was interesting, though, because you're right. I, I didn't feel like Eleanor was really necessarily a villain. Um, I actually thought that the grandma was probably the most villainous out of all <laughs> yeah, of them, right? Oh, yeah, and she kind of niggles at Eleanor the whole time. Yeah, like, she's a total bitch. Like, I mean, total bitch to her, because Eleanor, it's basically implied that she's dedicated her life to the family, right? So, and then for the grandma to still be, like, that nitpicky and... It was just, and, and then, like, right at the end, when the grandma shows her true face, which is kind of like, mm. she says to Rachel, you can't be a part of this family, bugger off, sort of thing, right? It was mm. just like, it felt like she was, it was villainous, because it was, she was so, like, she'd hit She lured it. her in. Yeah, yeah. Nice, and then she turned like that. <laughs> yeah. And at least... Tell me that, Dance. But you'll recall that at one point, Eleanor makes reference to the fact that she allowed Nick, basically, to be raised by his grandmother... Yeah. Um, for a couple of reasons, one of which is that he would therefore have a better shot at inheriting everything. Yeah. But the idea that you would you would allow this other woman to, to raise your child and she still shits on you at every opportunity yeah. would tend to suggest that this grandmother is a bitch. Like, she's a total bitch. <laughs> yeah. And Maggie... Oh, no, you go, Darren. Well, you were saying to me that the way the grandmother is described in the book is very different from the way she is portrayed. Because in this movie, she's portrayed as... The reason why you're kind of drawn into it is because she's portrayed as a little old lady, right? You know, she's kind of frail, she needs attendance, that sort of thing. Um, 
And that's kind of why you think to yourself, oh, she's just like a nice old woman, right? But then Mags was saying to me that in the book, she's actually portrayed as very differently, right? Well, she and all the aunties are actually portrayed very differently. So the aunties, except for, um, uh, I think it's Auntie Alex, um, are meant to be... So Auntie Alex, I think, is meant to be the frumpy one who wears, you know, your classic... um, Asian mother, older Asian mother look of the 30-year-old pants with the elastic waist and she has her hair tied up and, you know, her um, furniture's all covered with plastic and they haven't got (laughs) shoes for, like, 20 years because she believes in being frugal Um, and that's part of the reason, you know, putting everything into her portfolio so that she has this um, nest egg for her children to draw on and her grandchildren to draw on um, when she moves on. Um, so and, and sort of all the other aunties are in that vein, and they all speak with a um, with the Singaporean accent. And the gra- great grandmother is actually portrayed as the kind of um, tiger matriarch, the woman who um, holds the all the family together. She's um, slender, she's stately, she dresses in silks that she had made when she was in her twenties. The two attendants are, are meant to be. Um, from um, the royal court of the Thai king, um, two courtesans, which he promised, you know, the, the Thai king promised would always be, she would always have two Thai courtesans in attendance. And the um, the guards out front are actually meant to be, um, well, not burkas, what are they Gurkhas, they're gurkhas. Gurkhas, sorry, I'm like, yeah. something ends with gurkhas. Um yeah, so like it's meant to portray this woman who actually grew up in a completely different time, mm, sort of a queen. You know, yeah, she grew up at a time where her friends were actually princesses and princes. Mm. Um, people lived on huge estates. They went hunting, um, you know, and it was only during um, World War Two that all of that was stripped from her. And one of the reasons why she's fierce, you know, she's meant to be fiercely proud of her heritage and of her family because of that lineage, but also because of um, her ability to survive during that point in time. So the book's going a little bit about how her family was broken apart during World War II, what happened to her brothers and um, what she had to do during that time. So the the movie doesn't doesn't give you the opportunity to explore that depth. I think that's probably one of the reasons why I'm a bit more sympathetic. Um, right. Yeah, but I think in this movie um, they used her as a sort of foil almost to well, what's the reason for Rachel? Rachel has to run away at some point in time in this mm. movie, so there's conflict. And um, it creates but, sympathy for Eleanor as well, right, where she's under the yeah. thumb of this, like, even more dominant oppressive force. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, okay, um, so shall we talk briefly kind of... Look, I mean, Gerald kind of just touched on this so i think at this point we'll kind of stop talking about the movie movie and we'll probably just talk about our own sort of cultural um resonance with this film right um so gerald kind of opened fire a little bit earlier by saying that there are a few little touches like you know the hokkien etc that kind of didn't feel quite right um in this film um I, i i definitely would like to add to that um so, firstly, like, some of the Chinese is really bad. Like, uh, <laughs> like um, I think uh, Rachel's Chinese is definitely not good. 
and um, I yeah I, I I noticed that as well. I mean, I I it's been a long time since I last had the ability to speak Mandarin, and even I even to my ear it sounded a bit off. Yeah, yeah, it it definitely was off, and there were a few look, and you you mentioned this right where it's kind of like there are moments when you kind of feel like people should be speaking Singlish and they're not speaking in that accent. And there were moments when people were speaking Chinese and they were speaking in the wrong Chinese accent. So, again, it's this tiny detail, but it was just kind of like, if you're making an Asian movie that you know that Asian people, like Chinese people specifically, right, are going to be watching this and, like, sort of nitpicking on it, when you go to Taiwan, wouldn't you get someone who speaks Taiwanese Mandarin instead of someone who, like, really blatantly speaks with, I think, anyway, a pretty strong sort of Beijing or sort of mainland Chinese accent? Um, it's just, like, really weird stuff. It's kind of like, hang on. Like, it, it, it's kind of like you know the audience is going to be aware of this stuff, right? So why wouldn't you really kind of do something about that? Um, yeah. Um what was what was the other the other thing that kind of Daz, while you while, while you're on the topic of singlish what is what was interesting to me was that um in the opening scenes of the film when you see Rachel and Nick at the bar and that woman walks past and you see this big WeChat chat that covers the globe um about Nick and his new girlfriend the funny thing is people texted in in singlish so they ended their sentences with la Someone says alamat at one point, and then yeah. someone else says ayo, and so these are these are classic English expressions that that are tested, but not one of them is uttered during the runtime of the film. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it, it's interesting like that, and you know, in some ways, I know that the, the film's title is Crazy Rich Asians, which is like catchy, right? It's a catchy title, but in some ways, this film should actually be renamed crazy rich Chinese diaspora because yeah. it's it's yeah. not really about Asians in general it's about a very specific subset of Asians which is Chinese diaspora right like um, it's not really about mainland Chinese people it's not really about like local Taiwanese or local Hong Kongers or um, Koreans or Japanese people or Indians or like Sri Lankans or like Pakistanis right like it, it's not really about that. It's it's actually really focused on, like Chinese people, like chi- people of Chinese ethnicity who kind of live in the broader sort of Asian sphere, <laughs> kind of thing. On right? the um, on the Singlish note, or oh, is that what you call it, Gerald? I've never heard that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that sing-song accent, is that what you're talking about? No, no, it's some of the some of the expressions as well. Okay. I just wonder if the reason that they didn't go for that is um kinda of, kind of similar to why the whole soundtrack it's done in Chinese some kind of dialect in Chinese. Um but it's all Western songs, right? Yes. They've taken Western. So I, th- I think they've done that. All these things for the same reason, which is that they want it to be fully Asian, but they also want the Westerners to be able to connect with it. Um, so I think that might be why they've made some of those choices. Yeah. Look, I and I think like look, I, I think the filmmakers know that this is a film that is targeted towards the Chinese diaspora, right, rather than 
But they do want it to influence and for it to be valued by and enjoyed by, you know, white people as well. I think they wanted that, right? Yes. They didn't yeah. just want to make a film mm. for Chinese people. I think, I think Amage is absolutely right. And there's a story about the making of this movie that, that's probably sort of helpful to know. And that is that Kevin Kwan, the, the bloke who wrote the book, and John M. Chu, the director of the movie, were offered a shit ton of money by Netflix um, to develop Crazy Rich Asians and the sequels as Netflix properties. So um, they had a deal for, I think, three or four movies. Uh, they were both going to rake in a ton of money. But the, the catch was that this movie was not going to make it onto the big screen. It was going to be a Netflix property, so you actually had to seek it out or have it recommended to you by the Netflix algorithm. Both of them turned down, turned down that deal, notwithstanding that it was really lucrative, because they thought it was necessary 25 years after the Joy Luck Club to have Asian Americans or Asians on the big screen. But and they said, look, if we take this money now, um, we are be, we are going to be right back where we were before, namely with Asians not on the big screen, not being seen by white middle America. So it's actually, it was I mean, part of the mission of the movie, I think, when you know that, is to sell the Asian experience or to present the Asian experience to white America. So whilst whilst it has definitely one foot in the camp of the Chinese diaspora, um, more broadly still, it was a movie pitched to, um, you know, moviegoers in Cincinnati or at least um, white moviegoers on the in the coastal in the coastal regions of the United States. They very much wanted um, this to be seen in cinemas by as broad a range of people as possible. Yeah, look, I, I would agree with that, right? Because when I think about... I mean, I think this film probably speaks to people like myself, Mags, Jerry, more because we are Chinese, specifically mm -hmm. Chinese diaspora, right? Um, but I can also see that if you were a mainland Chinese person and you watched this film, it would probably not be as impactful, right? Because as Chinese diaspora, you're used to living in a world where you are, you're the minority, right? Like, I hate using that word, but, like, the reality is that there's fewer Chinese people here than, like, you know, white people or wherever it is, right? So, um... Are you tapping, Darren? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, there's no yeah. tapping like, when you're talking, go on. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, um, yeah, like, I, I guess there would be a greater resonance with, you know, Chinese diaspora, right? But if you were sitting in mainland China, I, I don't actually think this would be really that much of a watershed film at all, because I mean, the reality is that, like, you've got the Hong Kong film industry, you have the like, Chinese film industry, they see Asians on film like, every day of the week, right? It's not mm. that big of a deal. And so, exactly. like, if you viewed it through that lens, it's basically just like, well, this is just another romantic comedy about rich overseas Chinese people, and like, yeah. You know, like, you know, all all Asians kind of, like, are a little bit judgy, right? Let's be honest, right? Asians are super judgy of each other, right? So they're probably thinking, oh, these, these like, diaspora people, whatever, I don't care. So it's just, um, yeah, I, I think, I think Jerry is right. The significance of this film is for, um, it's, it's a film that's made... I think for white audiences to kind of expose themselves, expose white sort of white audiences to sort of the wider Chinese diaspora, but it's also a film that's made towards 
uh, made for the Chinese diaspora audience to kind of as like a sort of a self-reflective sort of film, right? So. Yeah. And it's made for us. It's made for minorities who live in Western countries who don't get to see people who look like us on the screen. Mm, mm, mm. That, that's that, that's 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 fair. So yeah, I mean, I think yeah. So I, I'd be very interested actually in seeing how this film actually does in mainland China because obviously that's a huge market, right? But um, yeah, I, I think it's done very well in the states. But I, I'm not sure how it will actually do in like sort of properly established Asian markets who see Asian people on screen 24/7, basically. So, um, mm. yeah. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to talk about like um, just very quickly, um, just like any scenes that really resonated with you, like with you guys personally. Um, I, I mean, I'll start. I, I think the film. The scene that really, I guess, that really resonated with me was absolutely the mahjong scene because, mm. um, as I said, like, um, like my mum taught me mahjong as well, right? And it was kind of this weird moment where, because um, I, I remember I used to like sort of argue with my mum about mahjong, right? Because I always saw it as well. It's actually a form of gambling, and you know, so why 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 do you love playing this game? And then I remember, like, I sat down with her and I sort of learned this, learned how to play this game with her, right? And basically, she was she said to me, kind of like it's it's not exactly what they said in the in the in the film, but basically, she was saying to me that mahjong teaches you builds your character because it teaches you that. There are times when you win and there are times when you lose and you need to learn how to win and you need to learn how to lose as well, right? And it's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, in Mahjong, they have like the four wins. They've got the four win tiles and you kind of need to, um, you need to learn how to live under each of the four wins, essentially, right? So, um, mm-hmm. like that scene when Rachel is talking to Eleanor and is having that moment about the Mahjong, I was like, yeah, okay, I, I, I really get that and i think also the character of eleanor kind of resonates with me as well because i feel that there are a lot of chinese mothers that kind of have <laughs> like have aspects of eleanor right i mean i'm not like there were definitely aspects of my mum that i could see sort of like reflected in the character that michelle yo was playing as well and so i felt like for me those aspects those things had sort of particular resonance with me as like I guess a Chinese Australian right who was watching the film um Jerry Mags um Andrew, did you guys feel so I've that... got a, on that note I've got to say I can kind of relate to what you're saying Darren in that I can sort of yeah I think with, with Gerald's mum or my mother-in-law I can also see elements of Eleanor and it's it's probably why I feel the way about Eleanor that I do that you can see all those elements that are that can be so um, challenging at times and yet you've got so much reason to respect that person because you can also see you know what she's done what she's built how strong and incredible incredibly resilient she is, how much courage she has. You can see, you know, what makes her such a powerful, strong woman, and it's impossible not to be able to respect that. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, maybe that is a very typical Chinese mum kind of quality. <laughs> yeah, the, the things that resonate with me about this movie, despite the criticisms, the minor criticisms that I lodged against it a bit earlier, um, 
really come out of the fact that um, whilst uh, there is now a burgeoning Chinese film industry and there has long been a very successful um, Hong Kong film industry, there's actually not been very much for those of us um, in the Chinese diaspora who hail from the Malay Peninsula. And so, you know, jokingly I say that never in my life would I have expected to see a mainstream Hollywood film in which the word kukujiao is used, and not just used, but chanted by a crowd, not just a crowd, but a crowd of bikini-clad beauty queens, the word kukujiao being, of course, Hokkien Malay for, for dick. Um, but uh, to hear that word um, presented a real, sh- a real mo- a momentary shock of recognition, um, and not because it was particularly deep, but like, like I said, for someone who... Who's family? Gerald, that's that a top residents. They shout a dick at the top of their voice. No, 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 they shout deep. They shout a dick in my in my in in, in my lingo, people. Um, and and you know so, that, but that that's that's absolutely a trivial example. I mean, um, the scenes the scenes of um, of uh, Singapore of the Singapore food market, the scenes of the kitchen where the local cakes, otherwise known as square, are being made, were were just, you know, sort of brought back to me um, large parts of my large parts of my childhood um, during the first ball uh, that Rachel attends, and when she first meets Eleanor, there is at one point playing over um, the crowd an old an old Mandarin pop song. I don't know whether it hails from Taiwan, but it was certainly played a lot in parts of Malaysia and Singapore called um, Tian Mimi. And um, and that was a song that my father played um, a lot. Um, and, you know, I hadn't heard that song in about 20 years. Um, and and to, to hear it playing in this scene was, was, was striking. And if not wholly emotional, at least sort of carried with it um, – the promise of, uh, you know, some connectedness with the the characters of this film. So I won't say that. I'll, I'll say this, Daz. I'm probably more of a banana than you. I can't speak Mandarin. I'm I can understand a fair amount of Hokkien, but I'm certainly not conversational. And uh, my mother, who knows how to play mahjong, never taught me how to play the game. Um, uh, Probably because she wasn't much good at it, um, and and so um, some of those some of the, so, some part of the some part of the um, world of this movie is lost in me, but it bears enough of a resemblance to the world that my family came from, namely Malaysia, that um, that even in some trivial details, uh, which were got strikingly right. There were resonances, and it's powerfully weird to sit in a cinema with a whole bunch of other people. A cinema where so often you're 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 being you're being treated to stories that have nothing to do with the world you came from, and to realise that here's this thing that that is born that has its genesis in an experience not too dissimilar from yours. It it really is um, a powerfully unique experience, and certainly nothing that. I've encountered before in a movie theater. And so for that reason alone, I think 
as I said before, it's it's hard for me to to judge the movie as a movie separate from the resonances that it carries, mm. and that's partly one reason why. Look, that that's that's true, right? And if I'm generous about this film, I, I, I definitely felt what you felt as well, as in there is something quite uplifting to see something that you know, I guess, even like obliquely as part of your culture, is kind of celebrated on the screen. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, look, I, I won't lie. There, there, are, there, there are definitely moments in this film like where... <sighs> Look, I mean, I think I'm overly critical on it simply because I'm trying to overcompensate for the resonant aspects of it, right? So, um, yeah. Um, Mags, like... No, I don't think I have anything further, too much more to add, really. I, I, I agree with you and Anna about, um, you know, there are things about the Eleanor character that really strike home about my experience with my mum and with my aunties. Um, and I, you know, also, um, you know, heard from the experiences from my friends who grew up with, with Chinese mothers as well. Um, and then also what Gerald was saying about parts of the movie that just hit home about, you know, I'm, I'm Malaysian Chinese. Even the word Gugu Jiao, I was like, oh, that was unexpected. That's true, actually. <laughs> um, but, like, I loved the Singapore market um seen at the beginning when Rachel comes uh, visits Singapore and they immediately go and they hit up their way of showing her the best of Singapore was actually to go and, and eat you know 16 different meals all in one sitting and that's absolutely true of what my cousins do when we go and visit them you know all those little bits and pieces added to the kind of color and life and the scent of the movie um, I I absolutely loved the fact that the um, the director and the producer and the writer um, pitched this as a Hollywood movie. They were unabashed about it. You know, why not? Um, and, you know, why not try and, and market something to the diaspora Chinese as well? Um, you know, they've got a big hip pocket now um, that they could spend with and, um, and they also have um, enough history, I guess, um, in all the different parts of the world where the Chinese have migrated to to actually hook um, a story onto. So I think it's sort of a really relevant kind of story to have right now. I think that's mm. quite successful. I, I also agree with you, Darren, that the, the Mahjong and the Ring reveal, um, which are really two connected kind of parts of the story, were my favourite. But I just want to give a shout-out to that part where Astrid confronts her husband and kind of tells him to get stuffed because what I loved about that is that you have a strong, powerful woman who decides that she doesn't have to apologise for being strong and powerful and she doesn't have to apologise for being more successful than her husband. And if her husband isn't man enough to handle that, then yeah. That, that's you, not you know, problem. I agree. I with, there, there was that's a moment true. in that film when I thought she was going to take it back or be like, mm. don't leave me. I was like, please don't do that. Like, that mm. would be outrageous, right? But mm. thankfully, she fucking, she kicked him to the curb because he was a total <laughs> prick. And look, can I say, Gerald made the point that they hired Henry... Henry Golding? Was that his name? What's his name? Yeah. Henry yeah. Golding. Yeah, Henry Golding. Because he was the only one who could carry the British accent. But... <laughs> You know, like, what accent was the 
guy, because the, the guy who was supposed to play a captain in the Singaporean army <laughs> did not have a Singaporean accent. He was like, I didn't know where he was. He came from, right? Well, I don't think he's Singaporean. The actor is he? Yeah. His, his accent doesn't feel like the sort of look. Maybe I'm I'm being. Stereotypical did, of this Singaporean accent. Did you guys um, stick around after the credits started rolling to see the little bit at the end? No. What where, was the little bit at the end? Okay. It's just a, it, we, Gerald and I think it might be a hint as to the second movie, but it kind of ends with Astrid at a party and there's this um, hot guy at the party and they're kind of making eyes at each other and it just ends, it just comes and it ends. Oh, um, this is so the one with the Glee guy, up. right? This is that's right. And it, this, this isn't just a hot guy. This is Harry Shum Jr. This is, this is the dancing guy from Glee. He can dance. He's like the dancing guy. Yeah. <laughs> Gerald, is he Chinese? Uh, fuck if I know. <laughs> uh, my, all, my outrage, all my outrage was exhausted by Golden, so I couldn't focus on this bloke. Uh, he, look, he looks Chinese. I don't think he's a halfie, right? But uh, he looks definitely pretty Chinese. <laughs> He looks a damn sight more Chinese than Henry Golding. Mm. Yes. Yes. We did see that. Yes. Can we also just talk about how much male topless nudity there was? There was so much male toplessness. It was outrageous. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Why? I'm all for a movie that finally that finally recognizes the pure hotness of Asian males. Yeah, why not? Oh, the yeah. incandescent hotness of the of, of Asian masculinity. Yeah, Jerry. Jerry. Gerald's taking his shirt off. Yeah, exactly. He's looking himself in the mirror. Sort of. I don't know. Let me let me flex my muscles as I twirl. My glasses in my hand and solve a maths problem. Could, could I know none of those guys wore? Did any of those guys wear glasses? I no, think, no, yeah, none of those guys wore glasses. They don't. They had their contacts in, Darren. That's <laughs> One guy wore glasses, and that was Douchey Bernard. <laughs> oh, and the and the the okay, the one guy that I was like, okay. That's the kind of Chinese guy that I know very well. Um, that I went to school with, basically, and was basically me. Um, like, the brother of her friend. Aquafina's brother, Peckling's yeah, brother. Yeah, exactly, oh, brother. Yeah. I was like, okay. I went to school with it. That was me in high school. I see ya, I see ya. <laughs> Do we need to talk about something going <laughs> offline? <laughs> Oh. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're on your own. You're on your. You're on your own there, Daz. Always <laughs> nothing. Mm. Um, yes. Okay. Well, thank you very much, guys, for a enjoyable podcast as usual. Um, I think we've we've exhausted everything we can talk about um, relating to Crazy Rich Asians. Next week, hopefully. Are we going to be back to talk about Counterpart? Are we going to yep. finish off Counterpart? Yep. So, so stay tuned next week for our podcast on the second half of Counterpart Season 1. Um, it's been a long time, uh, but we've all finally finished watching Counterpart, so we'll talk about that next week. Um, so thank you very much, everybody, for joining me tonight. Um, and I'll see everybody next week. Hey, see you later. Thanks. Bye.